Mitzrayimah. Et Yaakov Ish Ubeto Bao. Even though last week we went through all of the names of the people who came to Egypt, we again repeat it. Rashi says, even though they're dead, Hashem recounts, and He calls them like the stars. Each star is named, each star Hashem appreciates, each star Hashem has next to Him. He takes them in, He places them out, He gives them energy. And this is, He's comparing the Bnei Israel who came down to Egypt as stars. The question we have is, what does it have to do with stars? Something bothering me last night in the middle of the night, I kept waking, thinking about this idea. Hashem created the sun and the moon, limshol. Not to give light, but to rule over. Rule over. We have the stars rule over. We say in the prayers on Shabbat. What are we talking about? We're talking about, in a way, the astrological forces. As we begin the parasha, the Egyptians are very, very afraid. They're afraid of a nation that's living within them. The nation, B'nai Israel, have grown exceedingly in number. They've become very wealthy and very, very strong. We have a Midrash that tells us of a war which takes place in Libya, goes even up to Italy. And it's with the people in Egypt against their neighbors to the west and to the north. And the neighbors are led by Bene Edom. Bene Edom are the children of Edom, the children of Esav. At first, when the Egyptians go out to war, they're afraid to include Bene Israel as their soldiers. Why? Because they say Bene Israel and Bene Edom, Bene Esav, they're relatives. They're not going to fight against them, they're going to join them and turn against us. But the Midrash goes very, very deep and tells us that in this war, Egypt was losing. They were finding that with all of their soldiers, and it talks about an army of tens of thousands, they're losing. So they call for reinforcements. They call for, for Goshen to send reinforcements from Bnei Israel. The Midrash says they sent 150 of the grandchildren of Yaakov Avinu. The Egyptians say, what are these 150 going to do? But these 150 must have been something special. And what happens is these 150 join and they help them to win the war completely. And instead of appreciating the heroes... What happens in Egypt? A fear develops. If we go to war, they're so mighty, they might join our enemy and destroy us. The question is, why think that? Why think negatively about a people who only helped them? Yosef, who only did good for them. B'nai Israel in Egypt only did good for them. Why, why do they have this Disconnect. So we recap the story. It says, So the, the, the Egyptians force the uh, B'nai Israel to become to work for them. They made their lives bitter with Kasha, with hard work, with bricks and with mortar, all of the work in the field, all of the work that they gave them was difficult. So to recap the story, new king or reinstated king, the Egyptians are very afraid of what we're really not sure. Enslaved B'nai Israel, not like the slaves like we grew up with, like the slaves in the south, because they were still able to marry who they wanted, be with who they wanted, sort of like, uh, like uh, civil servants who are forced into labor for the government and they're required to do what the government sends them without getting paid. Working hard, labor. It's interesting that the slavery in Mitzrayim, it seems to take stages. We were told last week in, 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 uh, in the Parsha, where we read about Vayichi Yaakov, that the beginning of the Parsha is Parsha Stuma. Normally two Parshiot 
there's a break between them. Either it jumps a line, or there's at least nine spaces. In Vayechi, you could see in the Torah, there's very little, only a space. And it's called Parshat Stuma because Rashi says that the enslavement began with the death of Paro. Now we know it's very hard to imagine that the enslavement began with the death of Paro because Yosef is still the king for another 54 years. But when they go to bury Paro, even though Yosef is in charge, he's the prime minister, he's running the government, he has to ask permission to leave the land. And when they leave the land, the Pasuk tells us specifically that they left their children, their cattle, their property behind. We wonder, were they forced to do so by Paroah as hostages? Or did they do so because they had no intention of leaving and every intention of coming back? Think about it. They were living in Egypt 17 years. Now the famine's over. They've grown. Their father died. They're going back to bury him in Canaan. Why not move back home? But they don't. So it seems that after Yaakov died, there's some level of the enslavement, at least mentality, begins. Yosef is still ruling 54 years. Yosef is the first brother to die. He dies at 110. And it says when Yosef dies, you're going to feel it a little bit more. Yosef was in charge of the government. Maybe his sons were involved in the government, we know. But when Yosef dies, there's that much less of a connection. Levi lives another 23 years. And it's his merit that protects B'nai Israel. When Levi dies, if we calculate, we're already about 95 years from the time B'nai Israel came to Egypt. And certainly slavery did not begin in all of that time. It's really with the death of Levi that slavery starts to begin to manifest itself in, in more of an outgoing way. It's in these 35 years from the death of Levi when they stop doing Brit Milah. It's in these 35 years until the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. And so we jump to the next chapter. Vayelech ish mi bet Levi a man goes from the house of Levi, Vayikach et bat Levi. And he takes the daughter of Levi. Amram, who's the leader of the people, goes and marries or remarries his aunt. We know that they were married and they had a baby girl. And her name was Miriam. And a few years later, they had a baby boy and his name was Aaron. And then the decree came that every boy born in the land will be killed. So Amram says, better that I shouldn't be married and have a child who's going to be killed. So he divorces his wife. When he divorces his wife, all the rest of the people divorce their wives because that's what the leader did. We don't want to bring children into this kind of a world. Miriam says, she saw, she's a Navi even as a child, that her mother will give birth to the Mashiach. So she turns to her father and she says to her father, Dad, you are worse than Paro. Paro has a gezerah against the boys. You have a gezerah against boys and girls. By you, no one will survive, no one will live, everyone is going to die. Or never be born. So she convinces her father to go back and remarry her mother. They remarry. Rashi tells us what was going on. The magicians, the astrologers, we keep coming back to astrology here. They say the Mashiach is coming, the Savior is coming, the Redeemer is coming. And what do they do? They say they saw in the stars that the Redeemer is coming. And they're not sure if the Redeemer is an Israelite or an Egyptian. And we can understand that because Moshe comes as an Israelite and he's living in the house of Paro. So they see something strange. It's an inexact science. They also see that this Redeemer, his downfall will come 
through water. Water is going to destroy him. And the Torah tells us that Moshe hit the rock, the water came, and because he hit, instead of speaking to the rock 40 years later, or after this, 120 years after this, says that's why he's not going to get into the land, that's why he's going to die. So the Egyptians see something with water is going to hurt him. So they decide, every baby born, whether boy or girl, goes, whether, I mean, whether Israelite or Egyptian, goes into the water. Every boy. And that's what they do. So the birth of Moshe as the liberator was foretold also in a dream. Again, we have a dream. The Midrash says Paro had a dream. And he saw all of Egypt, all of the armies, all of the nobles, everyone in the country on one side of a scale, and on the other was a sheep. He woke up so afraid. The soothsayers told him that this means the Redeemer is going to be born and take all of you. And so what happens is Amram comes together, remarries his wife, so that all B'nai Israel go remarry their wife, have faith in Hashem, see what Hashem can do. Batahar Haisha, she gets pregnant. Vateled Ben, she gives birth to a son. Vatereoto, she sees Kitovu, that he's good. Now, doesn't every mother see that her child is good? Says Rashi, huh? When he was born, the entire house was filled with light. He radiated light. And she waits three months. The rabbis tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu was born on the 7th of Adar, in the year 2377 after the creation of the world. The Egyptian authorities knew that she got pregnant. They had inspectors checking everything. That's what the Midrash tells us. They knew the remarriage date. But she gave birth six months after the remarriage and they didn't think she would give birth until nine which gives her an opportunity to hide the baby for three months. She cannot hide the baby any longer. On the birth of Moshe, there's a Midrash that says he was circumcised, the Gemara Sota says he was circumcised, the Yalkut says no, they circumcised him after he was born, according to Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, says that a glorious light filled the house, indicating he was worthy of the gift of prophecy, the Midrashim go on that he spoke very early, that he prophesied very early. He was very connected. Now what happens? She has this very special boy. He's born. She hides this baby for three months. And when she can no longer hide him, what is she going to do? Send him to the relatives up north. Right? Send him to the relatives down south. Down the, up the Nile, down the Nile. Somewhere. Send him to Italy. Send him somewhere to hide him. Send him to Aunt Penelope and she'll hide him. But instead, what does she do? She takes a three-month-old baby and she takes a basket and she covers it on the outside with pitch so it becomes somewhat waterproof. And she's going to set it aside the Nile. Come on. It doesn't make any sense. She's going to take a baby and stick him by the Nile? And what is she really going to hope for? What is she going to hope for? How is he going to survive? Isn't there a better idea on how he might survive? What gives her the impetus to think that nothing's going to happen to him on this of all days, three months after he was born, and that's why she puts him in a basket? According to Halakha, what she does is absolutely forbidden. In America... They arrest you. She could have claimed anything. She's not pregnant anymore when they come to look. She had a baby three months ago. She could have said she never had a baby. It was a miscarriage. Sneak the baby away. But the Gemara says she was sure he would be saved. She put some cloth in the box. If you remember the movie, the cloth of the Levite, uh, the Levite slave, whatever. He's going to wear this in his wedding. She thought she would never see him again. She was hoping he would survive and she decides she's going to stick him into the water. Now we understand baby based on the Midrash that says that the, 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 uh, the uh, Egyptian magicians, the Egyptian uh, 
horoscope people, they all saw the Savior was going to come. And now they're worried the Savior is going to save uh, the Bnei Israel. But when they see in their, in their charts that the Savior was put in the water, then they could end the decree. And no more kids will get put in the water. So one possibility is she put him in the water, or by the water, in order to save every other child born after him. Because once she placed the basket in the water, the Egyptian astrologers saw that the baby was in the water. They said, Paro, you don't have to worry. The baby went into the water. Finished. But still is what she did allowed. Then what happens? His sister Miriam, she stands Merachok, far away. She wants to know what's going to happen with him, with her prophecy. She said this baby is going to be the Mashiach. So she wants to know what's going to happen with this Mashiach. And at the same time, The daughter of Paro, we have her name as Batya, Bitya. Batya means really the daughter of Hashem, very interesting. See, she comes, they come on the side of the river. And what happens? She comes and she sees, she sees this basket, this little ark on the side of the reeds. She sends either her arm miraculously or her servant to go get the baby. The question is, why is she coming down to the Nile? Is it a regular bath time in the Nile? So one opinion that's brought in uh, no, it's brought in uh, one opinion that's brought I don't know, maybe Josephus, one of the history books, is that she went down because she had sarat she had leprosy and she was hoping the Nile would help her. Another opinion brought by the rabbis is that she wanted to convert. She wanted to leave Egyptian the polytheistic uh, gods behind her, and she wanted to change. And that's really maybe not so unusual. We know that during Roman times, the Roman aristocracy, they were all interested in Judaism and trying to understand about it, study it. The, the rabbis also tell us Hashem sent the great heat onto Egypt to force her to come to the Nile that day. So it wasn't usual for her to come to the Nile. So it wasn't like wasn't like Moshe's mother knew that Sipora knew she's going to send her there and the daughter of Paro is going to save him. In fact, it would be the opposite. The daughter of Paro should have done what? Seen a Jewish kid and killed the kid. This is Vatiftach. She opens. She sees the boy. And the boy is crying. She feels bad. And she says, she knows it's a Jewish baby. Rashi says, what did she see? Rashi says something unbelievable. The child is a simple answer. Then Rashi quotes the Gemara and Sota and said, she saw in the basket next to the baby, the Shekhinah. She saw the presence of God, whatever that means. He's crying. The Gemara goes further. He wasn't crying on his own. The angel Gabriel came and gave him a smack to make him cry so that she would pity him. We also see the rabbis tell us that as soon as she touched the basket and looked inside, her leprosy disappeared. We also see, again, that she saw this Shekhinah and felt that this baby was something special. She wanted to save the child, but her maids told her, Princess, your father's law is that every Jewish boy, every baby boy has to get killed. You have to kill the baby. The Gemara tells us the angel Gabriel came and threw them down. Did he kill her servants? We don't know what he did. And he also made a miracle that she loved this baby. First sight. And all of a sudden, the Midrash tells us that she taken him around she saw he was crying. She called for a wet nurse to come. They brought from the palace behind her a wet nurse. No wet nurse was working out. No wet nurse would the baby suckle from. 
She didn't know what to do. She sees this baby crying, hungry. What's she going to do? And this little girl comes and says, maybe I can find you a wet nurse who could help. The little girl is Miriam. And the princess says, do it. And she brings who else but the mother of the baby. And so the princess tells the mother of the baby, you take care of the baby, you nurse the baby, and I will pay you to do that. Now Miriam gets the baby back. I mean, sorry, Yocheve gets her baby back. And not only that, she gets paid to take care of him. So the baby grows up. It says, Vayigdal HaYeled, the baby grows up. And what does she do? And she brings him, Yocheved brings her back to the daughter of Paro. And she becomes, he becomes to him, to her, as a son. The daughter of Paro, Batya, calls him Moshe. It's interesting, we have a list of the names, seven names that Moshe had. All the names, one that is his, we, we have the names, all of them. We have Yared, Avi Gedor, Hever, Avi Soko, Yakutiel, Avi Zanoa, Shemaya. It says all of the, these names that one his father gave, one his mother gave, everybody gave him a name. The name we know him by is the name Moshe, given to him by Batya, because she drew him out of the water. Something about the water. So now... I always wondered, really, what did Yocheved have in mind that she was willing to risk his life and put this basket by the water? Try to understand, keep that in mind as we go. So Moshe grows up, he goes out to see the people, he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, he kills the Egyptian, the next day he sees two Israelites arguing, he tries to intercede, they tell him, what do you think, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? He realizes word is out, and he has to flee Egypt. And he flees Egypt. And we, if you really want one day, read the adventures of Moshe, the 60-year adventures of Moshe. What he does during these 60 years is unbelievable. He becomes a general. He becomes a king. He gets married. He doesn't sleep with his wife. He ends up then going to Midian, where he ends up in a jail, in a pit for 10 years. And finally, he gets married to the daughter of Yitro, a few years later, all this is 60 years. A few years later, we're going to see he's going to come to Hashem. So we fast forward now 60 years from Moshe fleeing. It was in those days, the king of Egypt died. And B'nai Israel rested for a moment from the work. They cried out, They cry out to Hashem, they want Hashem to save them. One opinion was, the king had sarat. The king had leprosy. And what did he do with his leprosy? He went and he bathed in the blood of babies every single day. 300 babies a day he killed in order to bathe in their blood. And this caused the cry the greatest cry that went up to Hashem. Elohim et na'akatam. Hashem hears, he hears their pain, right? Again, we have this word zachar, zechor, remembrance. Elohim et berito. He remembers his treaty. Again, zachar connected to berit. Et Abraham, et Yitzchak, ve et Yaakov. The cry goes up to heaven and how come they're going to be saved? Not because they deserve it, but because of Zechut Avot, the merit of their fathers. So now we go jump to the next chapter. Moshe comes to the burning bush. Hashem starts to talk to him and he tells Moshe, Vayomer Hashem. Hashem says, Raoraiti et oni ami. I see the suffering of my people. Asher b'Mitzrayim, who are in Egypt. Ve'et sa'akatam. I heard Shamati, I heard their cry. He says, I understand their pain. Very interesting, the next pasuk. Va'ered lehatzilo miyad mitzrayim. I will go down. What? I will leave my place, basically Hashem is saying, and I will go down to mitzrayim. 
and save them from Mitzrayim. min ha'aret. I will raise them up from the land to the beautiful land of Eretz Zavad Chalav Udvash, to the land of the Canaanites, etc. I'm going to bring them. I'm going down. I'm going to take them to Israel. And now, the scream, the cry of Bnei Israel came to me. I also saw the oppression from Egypt. Says and now, so Hashem says, I'm going to go get them and take them out. You Moshe, what? Now, lecha. What now? Now come. I'm going to send you to Paro. Oh, I thought I, I thought you were going to go, God. No, you. I'm going to send you to Paro. You're going to take my people out of Egypt. After such a speech, Hashem reveals Himself to Moshe. Moshe must be on this unbelievably high level. The only one to speak face to face to Hashem. Such a sadiq, such a servant of Hashem. You would imagine God comes to you and says, Jump. You say, How high, God? What do you want me to do? What does Moshe do? No way, God. He starts to argue. Who am I that I should go to Paro and that I should take B'nai Israel from Mitzrayim? What do you mean? God just told you to go. He says, I'm going. I'm going with you. Go. He says, no. The rabbis tell us that Moshe argued with Hashem for seven days. And his arguing extended so far that it delayed leaving Egypt by a year. So now what does he do? Hashem's going to give him a sign. Okay, you're going to give me a sign. Unbelievable. I'm going to have this sign, you know, like the cows are going to rain from heaven. And they'll believe me, right? Vayomer. What does Hashem say? Ki that I will be with you. This will be the sign. Ki ani that I sent you. What's the sign? Get ready. When you take the nation out of the land of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Huh? Maybe that's the result of leaving Egypt. We're going to worship God on the mountain. How is that the sign? The sign is when you leave Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. What's the sign there? It doesn't make any sense at all. You need a sign? He's talking to me. What's going on? What's the sign? When you come from Egypt, you're going to worship Hashem on this mountain? What kind of sign is it? Maybe that's a message. Maybe that's a prophecy. But this is not a sign. Give me something I could take out of my pocket. You know, hocus pocus, this is a sign. That's what I'm going to call a sign. Split the heavens and show me. Whoa, show me something I never saw. But to say what's going to happen, where's that a sign? What's going on? If you're Moshe, you're standing here wondering, what am I doing here? But how are you arguing with God and saying you're not going to go? I'm going to come to I'm going to tell them that God, the God of your father, sent me. And what are they going to tell me? They're going to tell me, what's his name? What do I tell them? He's continuing the argument. Second day, what if they ask? This is a guy who's supposed to save Ben Israel, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. He argues. He says, go, we go. Hashem, what do you mean? What's going on? If Hashem tells you to go, Moshe, you got to go. Next, Perek. Please, Hashem. I'm not a man of words. Since I started speaking, since you started speaking to me, we're here a week arguing. You could tell I'm not a man of words. My my mouth is heavy. My tongue is heavy. Please, Hashem. And he continues, Be, please God. Send with whom you will send. Another riddle. What? God says to Moshe, Moshe, I'm sending you to go take Bnei Israel out of Egypt. Moshe is arguing for seven days. At the end of seven days, his final argument is, send Be'yad Tishlach. 
send in the hands of the one you're going to send. What do you mean? You can't refuse Hashem. And who's this guy? Biyad Tishlach. Now we're going to get into the class. The Gemara Ketubot, page 110 on the bottom of the page. It's a very interesting Gemara. It tells us about the attributes of living in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. It says in the Braita, a person should live in Eretz Israel. Now remember when this is written, 2,000 years ago, when Israel was, had not so, many, not so many Jews in Eretz Israel was somewhat of a, of a wasteland. And the Gemara there is saying, a person should live in Eretz Israel, even in a city that is mostly Nochrim, a person should not live in Chutz Aretz, even in a city that is mostly Bnei Israel. Gemara goes on. This is because anyone who lives in Eretz Israel is like one who has a god, but anyone who lives in Chutz La'aretz is like one who does not. Huh? If you live in the land, you have a God. If you live outside the land, you ain't got no God. What do you mean? There's an objection, a correction. It says anyone who lives outside the land, it's as if he serves Avodah Zarah. Idolatry. The question is, I was expelled from Eretz Israel. I was told to go, sir, what, what, what happens? The question is David HaMelech. He himself says when he was expelled from Eretz Israel that he went to serve idols. The rabbis say, what do you mean David HaMelech went to serve idols? The answer is no. But once David HaMelech is outside of the land, it's as if he's worshipping idols. The Gemara tells us it's better to live in Israel. Even if Israel was mostly Goyim, even if the city in Israel is mostly Goyim, like I say, imagine the time of the Gemara. Who really lived there? It's better to live there than to live in America in New Square. You go to New Square, there's only Jews, only learning, only Torah, nothing else. It says better to live in a, in a place in Israel of Nochrim than to live outside of Israel, even in a place where everyone's a scholar, everyone's a Jew. says the Gemara, Hashem is not in Chutz La'aretz. And if one who lives outside the land, it's as if he's worshipping Avodah Zarah. How do we understand this? How do we understand? King David, when he was chased out of the land, says, I'm worshipping idols. That's the proof. If you're outside the land, it's as if you're worshipping idols. The Gemara though says, what do you mean? We don't understand. Hashem is everywhere. Don't we learn the song? Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is everywhere. What does that mean? Darizal explains... And this is really something important for us to understand. Originally, when Hashem created the world, Hashem had an idea to place His Shekhinah down below. Ikar Shekhinah Tachtoni. The Ikar, the most important aspect of the Shekhinah, is it for it to be below. We see Aleinu Leshabeach. That's Hashem wants to be with us. Hashem wanted to be down here with us. What happens is Adam Harishon sins. And Hashem says, I can't be here so much. So he lifts himself a little from the world. Cain kills Hevel. Hashem says, whoa, I don't know. And he lifts himself a little more. Comes the door in Nosh and they start to worship idolatry. And Hashem lifts himself away even more. Comes the generation of Noah. Hashem says, I, I can't be there. Comes the door Haplaga. Whoa, terrible. I'm moving. Comes door Sedom. Hashem says, They can't even get along with each other. I'm out of here. Hashem left 10 levels from the world, little by little by little. We drove him away. Comes Avraham Avinu. He begins to draw the Shekhinah back down, generation by generation. A little more with Yitzchak, a little more with Yaakov, a little more with Yosef and his brothers. Till finally we come to Moshe Rabbeinu. And we see that Hashem is the Shekhinah next to Moshe. When a person sins, aside from the sin, there's a bigger problem. He's preventing Hashem from being your neighbor.
He's preventing the purpose of creation because that's what Hashem wants. Whoever's old and grew up with Mr. Rogers, all Hashem wants to do is let me be your neighbor. He wants to be your neighbor. He wants to stroll with you in Gan Eden. But because we sinned, we forced him away. Gradually, little by little, we pushed Hashem out of our world. We think that Hashem expelled Adam from Gan Eden, but it was Adam's sin that pushed Hashem out of the world. When the brothers sell Yosef, part of the Shekhinah accompanies Yosef down to Egypt. Remember the caravan was supposed to carry naphtha, horrible smelling fuel. Instead, what happens? Instead, I just want to check everything. So instead of carrying naphtha, it carried, it carried with it perfume. When, Moshe, when Yosef came down to Egypt, Hashem came down with him. It says, and then we discussed Yaakov Avinu. He's invited down to go to Yosef in Egypt. He doesn't want to go. He stops in Beersheba. He wants to make sure from Hashem, is it okay? Remember, Yitzchak couldn't leave the country. And Hashem tells Yaakov, I will come with you. The Shekhinah will accompany you. And we think it's a good thing. We think it's a good thing. Hashem wants to come with us down to Egypt. The Arizal tells us it's a terrible tragedy. By selling Yosef, what did we do? We dragged God down to Egypt with us. Hashem should be by Har Habayit, parallel to the Mikdash above, the Mikdash below. But what did we do? We took him from his place. We dragged him to bring him out. And this is what the Gemara means. It's better to live in a city of Goyim in Eretz Yisrael than to live outside even in a city of Jews. Live where Hashem is. Live where Hashem wants to be. This is the purpose of creation, to be Hashem's neighbor. This is what happened. Adamson, Kainson, Noah's generation, all of them defeat the purpose of creation. That you should be with Hashem. That you should be Hashem's neighbor. Avraham Hashem tells him, Lech lecha, go to the land. Avraham says, What do you mean go to the land? You're not there. Hashem is not in Israel. But Avraham, you're the one who's drawing down the Shekhinah. You're bringing the Shekhinah down with you back to earth. The purpose of creation is to be next to Hashem. At the same time, the rabbis tell us, when Hashem is outside of the land, we're not allowed to conquer Eretz Yisrael. It's very interesting that this is the argument of the Satmar Rebbe. This is the argument of the majority of the Jewish observant community in the 40s, in the 30s, not to go and attempt to conquer the land. This was their argument. Today, we don't hear it. But we can understand what was their argument. It was based on Hishir Hashirim. Pasuk says, Hishbati erchem benot Yerushalayim. Ma ta'iru, ma te'oreru, et ha'ava at she'techpas. The Gemara says, the verses recount three oaths Hashem imposed. B'nai Israel should not return to Israel by force. The Israel should not rebel against the other nations, and the other nations should not subjugate the Israel too harshly. Why? Because Hashem's not there. After the destruction, Hashem left the roof, He left the yard, He slowly moves away. The Shekhinah left slowly, eventually. Hashem will return, eventually. Hashem will take your hand and bring you back. This is the thinking in saying we can't go back. There's an answer. Hashem left because you left. Yaakov, he says, Vayomer. Hashem says to him, Vayomer, he says, Anochi ha'el eloke avicha. I am the God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I'm going to go down with, with you to Egypt. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will bring you up and Yosef will place his hand on your eyes. Hashem is saying, I'll go down. No choice now. You have to go down. The sin was committed in the sale of Yosef. 
the process has already begun. Eventually you're going to return. That's why B'nai Yisrael couldn't stay at the funeral. There's no salvation yet. Shemot is called the book of redemption. But redemption is incomplete until Shlomo HaMelech builds the Bet HaMikdash about 500 years later. Hashem wants to be there. He wants you next to Him. The Ramban, he says the Mashiach is going to gather, build, he's going to complete. Rambam, Hashem's going to, the Mashiach is going to gather, build, build the Bet HaMikdash. And then we fulfill the Pasuk, Veshachanti Betocham. I will dwell within them. I will be your neighbor. Hashem wants to dwell within us. If Hashem is not in Israel, then we go there. He's not our neighbor. The Shekhinah is in exile. We can't go. Of course, today, I'm running from the Nazis. I'm running from the Arabs. I'm running from those who chase me. The Goyim are not fulfilling their uh, obligation not to be too uh, mean to us. And when that is, everything's off the table. It says, today, it's all different. We see the beginning of the Geulah was the founding of the state. The next level of the Geulah was 67 in Yerushalayim. We see every single day that the Shekhinah is gradually lifting itself from Chutz La'aretz and it's moving into the land. When the majority of the Jewish population will be living in Eretz Israel, which will probably be in the next decade, then in essence the Shekhinah leaves Chutz La'aretz, it leaves exile, it goes into the land. At that point, either you're in the land and worshipping Hashem, or you're outside and you're an idolater. The purpose of Tikkun Chatzot, we get up at midnight. We read at night. Even if you can't get up at midnight to do it, you should just get up for a minute. And you should cry that King David did not complete what he needed to do. Solomon was able to build the temple and we're waiting for Hashem to be able to return. We're crying for the Shekhinah that's in Galut. We're crying not for me, but for Hashem. Hashem wants me to be his neighbor, but I don't let him get back in. Three times a day, we say in the Amidah, Lishuatecha, Kivinu, Vesipinu, Kolayu. Lishuatecha, we're talking to Hashem. Lishuatecha, Kivinu. For your salvation, I am hoping. I'm hoping for God's salvation. I'm going to hope and pray that God should be saved. That God should be redeemed? What does that mean? We say it every day, three times a day. Don't we realize what we're saying? God, I'm praying for you to be saved. The job is to be a neighbor. Not in America, not in Bavel, to be his neighbor in Yerushalayim. The Ber HaMikdash. After we went into exile, Hashem came with us. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to the burning bush. And he asks Hashem, Hashem, you want me to be the Redeemer? You want me to be Mashiach? Are you going to let me do the job and take it all the way home? Are you going to let me go into the land and build the Ben HaMikdash and come to the point where you are our neighbor? He sees in the stars, Moshe. He realizes not. So he says to Hashem, Sorry, I don't want to do this. Shelach beyad tishlach. Send in the hand of who you're going to send. Who is that? Eliyahu Hanavi, says Yonatan ben Uziel. Eliyahu Hanavi, who's going to come and bring in the Mashiach, says Moshe, Hashem, I don't want to do a half job. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't finish. I don't want to be the guy who can't cross the goal line. He refuses seven days. I don't want half a job. I see they're all going to die in the desert. Paro sees they're all going to die in the desert. Paro turns to Moshe and he says, Rak, ra, only evil awaits them in the desert. Paro saw astrologically that every one of the people who left Egypt would die in the desert. Says Moshe, I don't want to be a part of that. It's another 480 years till there's a Mikdash. And even after that, we have the destruction of the first, destruction of the temple. Galut Moshe doesn't want the job. Give me a job, Hashem, where I have a chance to complete it. Hashem says to Moshe, tell them, I am leaving Egypt. Hashem says, it's time to go because I am out of here. 
And in 15 months, what's the sign that I will see you on Har Sinai? Hashem is saying to Moshe, I'm giving you the Torah in the desert. I'm giving it to you on a mountain in the desert. We're not going to be in Israel. You're going to show them the glory in front of everyone. It's amazing that this revelation doesn't take place in Eretz Israel. It takes place in a desert. I came to Egypt with Yaakov, Hashem is telling Moshe. Now I'm ready to leave and be with you. After the funeral, we said they should have stayed, but they can't stay. It says, was it because the children, was it because the sheep, was it because the property? No. The Shekhinah was locked in Egypt. The daughter of Paro opens the, the, the ark, the basket. What does she see? The Shekhinah next to Moshe. The Shekhinah is in Egypt. I am in Egypt. But our, our obligation is, Lishuatecha, kivinu kol to redeem you, to save you. We want to bring you back, Hashem. Sephardim read a very strange Haftarah this week. It's one of the weeks where we read different Haftarot. We read the Haftarah of the first of the three Haftarot of Puranut. First of three negative Haftarot. This Haftarah is from the beginning of Yirmiyahu. And the rabbis tell us we read it because just like Moshe argues with Hashem, I don't want to do it. Yirmiyahu argues with Hashem, I don't want to do it. I don't want to work for you. I don't want to do anything. How could you refuse Hashem? How could you refuse Him? And the rabbis explain, the Arizal explains that, Yirmiyahu is saying, I don't want to be the guy responsible for getting the, the Shekhinah in Galut, for removing the Shekhinah from the land. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who's going to mess everything up. Darizal tells us, how do we bring the Shekhinah back? We learn. We make ourselves higher. We make ourselves worthy of being the neighbor of Hashem. The Torah and the mitzvot, they save us. It's sort of like, like, like uh, the way we put it was, they act like a force field to prevent any damage that we come and touch the Shekhinah. Why does also then, just to finish the question and end with this, why does she place him in a basket and she's willing to risk his life specifically on this day? It always bothered me. And a few years ago I realized that he's born on the 7th of Adar. If we count 90 days forward of the 7th of Adar, three full months, what do we come to? The 6th day of Sivan. What happens on the 6th of Sivan? Moshe Rabbeinu will get the Torah from Shamayim. Yochevet sees that that's the day Moshe is going to get the Torah. The Torah is compared to water. Water will be fine and he will be okay. And therefore she places him in the water and two things happen. She places him in the water so that he could begin his role to be the redeemer. And the death stops for every other baby. That's why Yochevet is so sure. And what is his name? Moshe, from the water I drew you. Because he relates to the water, which is like the Torah. The Shekhinah wants to be our neighbor. He says, today I'm putting him in the water. It's going to be the sixth of Sivan. The day the Torah comes to earth. The day the Shekhinah comes back to earth. The Torah enables us to become the neighbor of Hashem. The Ramban, he writes something very interesting, Nachmanides. He says, you have to see Shemot. You don't get to the end of Shemot. You don't get to the crux of Shemot till the last Pesukim of Shemot. It says in the very end of Shemot that the cloud of Hashem was upon the Mishkan by day. There was fire there at night, but the eyes of Bnei Israel. it was before the eyes, Le'enekol Bnei Israel. Hashem was there within them. This is the goal of Shemot. Not to get out of Egypt. Not to become no more slaves. Not to be free. But to be Hashem's neighbor. This is what we begin to accomplish in this world. The book of redemption, it means nothing. Until the marching to the destination, there's nothing. Until we get to Pikudeh. Paro forgets Yosef. Why? It all starts with us. We forgot the Brit Milah with the death of Levi. 
Yosef connected to Brit Milah, we disconnected from Yosef. We disconnected from memory. From one day to the next, everything changes. Even in Egypt, they're abandoning the Torah. They're abandoning the Brit Milah. And then the slavery begins. Why? Because Egypt decided to forget us also. Once we become disconnected with memory, everyone around us becomes. We canceled. They said, you're not the neighbors of Hashem. You're not the blessed people. You're not for us anymore. Says the Ari, Mishuatecha kivinu. For your, for your redemption, God, we pray. When the Shekhinah is in Israel, we can't leave. It defeats the purpose of creation. But what's in Spavel, it's hard for us to come. It says, what do we have to do? Hashem is telling us, I think there's no question. We see signs every single day in our lives now. Every single day. To put a foot into the land. To start. To have some way of connecting to the land. To have some way connecting. Because the Shekhinah, I'm telling you, you have to see. The Shekhinah is leaving Galut. It's telling us it's time to get up and go. It's a gradual process, but we're coming to the end of that gradual process. All of these things happening are happening to us for strange, strange reasons. Nothing we would imagine, nothing we could believe. Every day, something that we could never imagine is going on. Hashem is telling us, you think this is your place? You think this is home? Get ready, folks. I've been with you. I'm in the yeshiva there with you. I'm learning with you. There's more people learning in America than they ever learned in Europe. But guess what? I'm getting ready to go. Get ready to come with me. That's what we have to remember. One final thing, and maybe we're going to try to continue this idea last week. I was thinking about this whole astrology aspect. I think one of the reasons Moshe didn't want to leave was because he saw in astrology that they're going to fail. Yirmiyahu saw that the Mikdash is going to be destroyed, so what's the point? Avraham saw he wasn't going to have children. Hashem had to convince him, I could change everything. Paro saw that they're going to be killed. What are you bothering me, Moshe? The key is overcoming astrology. It's overcoming Teva. I think one of the reasons we discuss this whole idea, if you see on Shabbat, we sing the whole song about the Me'orot, about the... the uh, the heavenly uh, spheres, we talk about them in control because on Shabbat we have the ability to overcome the Teva. I'm going to try to think about it more tonight. God willing, I'll write about it tomorrow. We'll put it in the newsletter and maybe we'll go into class to try to understand. But I think the message really of Parashat Shemot, of baby Moses in the basket of his mother putting him there, is to know that the Shekhinah is always with us. The Shekhinah is with us in Galut. The Shekhinah, though, wants to go back home and wants us to come back home with it. It's time for us to think, think about seriously. Think about seriously making an effort. If not us, at least our kids, get a foot there some way, somehow. Get a foot there. Get a piece. Get a anything. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'm going to try to...